Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for being the ultimate father, the perfect father. And we celebrate all the dads represented this morning. But God, right now, in this moment, there's something sacred that's about to happen. This is a time where we hear from you. And every person in this room has a need that I can't meet, but you can. And so, Father, would you speak through me to them this morning? Pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, I love Father's Day. I love it because it's more than just a tie. It's more than just a t-shirt. It's more than just a mug that says you're the world's best dad, which just proves your kids are sarcastic. That's all that does. Because we can't all be the best dad. You know, somebody's got to be better, right? You know, but um, it's neat to come together on Father's Day. But the reason I like it here at church, because I want to see a church filled with men who are passionate about God, passionate about their spouse, passionate about their children, passionate for their church, passionate for their community. And we want to raise that generation up. In a culture now that kind of seems to put down biblical masculinity, we want to lift that back up. And I understand there's toxic masculinity. And I understand that when we talk about Father's Day, some of you grew up without a father. Some of you may have even worse been abused by your father or stepfather. Or you had a father that was there but not present, which is almost worse than an absent father. So there's all kinds of uh, feelings and emotions on Father's Day. It can be very hard. Or maybe you recently lost a father. It can be a tough day. But I want to encourage all the dads out there and all the soon-to-be dads. I hope you take today's message as a blessing and help to you. But one of the other reasons I love Father's Day is because I can unpack all of my wonderful Father's Day dad jokes. And so, yes, I have a captive audience, so I'm going to share with you some dad jokes. So buckle up and prepare for this. Why did the golfer bring two pairs of pants? Anybody know? You were in the first service, Mom says. That's cheating. That's cheating. Yeah, in case he got a hole in one. There we go. There's the first one. So second dad joke. How do you stop a bull from charging? Cancel its credit cards. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. All right. Okay, all right. How about this one? How about this one? How do you follow Will Smith in the mud? Follow the Fresh Prince. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. Some of you are waiting for a slap or something. No, 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 no. Uh, here's, the, here's the last one. I won't, I won't subject you to any more. Here's the last one, but this is my favorite. When does a joke become a dad joke? When it's full grown. Get it? Full grown? Oh, come on. Come on, it's Father's Day. Thank you for humoring me on Father's Day where we get to break out some good old cheesy Father's Day humor. I'm so glad that you are here and we're glad to celebrate you. But one thing when it comes to being a father, I think sometimes we obsess or we are overwhelmed with thinking that our children are, and we kind of own their success and their failures. We kind of own it. We feel like it's our fault. 
When our kid does something well, we kind of take pride in that and we feel like it's ours. When our children fail, we kind of own that as if it's our failure, like we failed them. And oftentimes, dads, you can, and I, we can obsess over the maybes. You say, what do you mean the maybes? Uh, maybe we were too absent. Maybe we were too abrasive. Maybe too much Disneyland dead. Maybe we weren't hard enough, soft enough, fun enough, there enough. We obsess over the maybes. And this morning, I want to encourage you that it's hard being a dad. And it's hard. But this morning, I think sometimes we can even fall into this trap. And we may not say it out loud, but we might think it sometimes. Where we just wish our kids would leave. And sometimes they look at our kid and we're like, oh, I wish you'd just leave. And they're two and they're just sucking their thumb looking at you, you know? Or you say it in a moment of anger and you don't mean it, but you say it. In Luke 15, where we're going to study this morning, here's a father. He doesn't wish it, but he watches it happen. So if you have your Bible to Luke 15, would you open it as we turn there? And the idea of the message is this. Distance from the Father will lead to dysfunction in your life. So verse number 11 opens, and this whole chapter is about lost things. A lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. I can relate, I have two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. I think both of my sons say that to me all the time. Dad, I need money. And I think every dad in this room knows that feeling. But this son says, Dad, give me everything that I'm supposed to get in the inheritance. I want it now. And the dad doesn't argue with him. Notice the verse. And he divided his property between them. He gives it to the son. And then the next verse says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and it began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, he interrupted the, the boy's speech. He said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You could title this message there and back again, or you can use the title that I'm going to go with this morning, and that is simply this, Run to the Father. Here's a boy, here's a Jewish boy that Jesus is telling this story about, and the story doesn't give us a lot of context as to why the boy would want to leave. The father doesn't seem like an abusive father, doesn't seem like an absent father, doesn't seem like a mean father. But the boy nonetheless wants to leave. We don't know why. 
There's no motive as to why he wants to leave. Does he have a hidden hurt? Has been abused? Is he uh, bitter about something? Is he angry? Does he want to sow his wild oats? Or does he just simply want a gap year? We don't know. But the son wants to leave. And the father allows him to. And so we see this son, he goes into a far country. It wasn't enough for him to go into the next country over. It says he got as far away from his family as he possibly could. And he wanted to spend everything he had, and he did. He spends everything he had, and then at that moment is when the famine came in. In the famine, then, when you have no money, you have no resource, no job, no passive wealth, nothing, and no father to rely on, this leaves you in a very bad position. And because the son had distanced himself from the father, he now had dysfunction in his life. And when you and I distance ourselves from our heavenly father, we will always have dysfunction in our life. And so we see this son, here he is, he's distant from the father, he's in a faraway country, and in this moment, it would be easy for the father to want to blame himself that his son is in the situation he's in. But here's the encouragement for all of us and for this father, that the father did something right even when his son did something wrong. You know, the hardest thing for you and I is to look at our child and to let them go. That's the hardest thing. I get to do a lot of weddings and I love getting to do weddings, but one of my favorite moments is when I look at the father of the bride walking his little girl down the aisle. And then I ask the question to begin the ceremony. I'll say, who gives away this woman to be married? And then the father says, I do, or her mother and I. And in that moment, you could see the father, sometimes I've watched this happen, where the girl goes to pull away and the dad holds her arm a little bit longer. Because this isn't just his little girl that he's about to give away. This is something more. This is the little baby that he brought into the world. This is the baby that when she skinned her knee, he was right there with the band-aid and the kiss and the, the wiping away of the tears and saying to the little girl, you're going to be okay. It was his little girl that she would get on his back and he would get a piggyback ride to her. This is not just some woman he's given away. This woman is so much more to him because they have so much history. He protected her. He watched over her. He guarded her. And to give her away is the hardest thing, to let go. It's the hardest thing for a father to watch his son and to let his son go and get into his old beat-up vehicle and drive away to college. It's the hardest thing to watch your son go and join the military and go to boot camp. It's hard to let go, but this father does the hardest thing that any parent has to do, and that is let go. And this father let go of his son. He lets his son go. He doesn't argue with him that he wants the money. He doesn't try to persuade him. He doesn't talk to him. He just simply says, what is your request? And he meets it and he lets his son go. Now, I find that interesting for several reasons. And one of the reasons I find it interesting is because this whole passage is about lost things. It's about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. But hold on now. Is this son lost? Like, did his GPS mislead him to the point he arrived at the far country? I mean, how did he get there? He's not lost. He left. So why is he called the lost son? He's called the lost son because even though he was in the house, the son's heart was not in the house. You see, you could be right here in church and your heart be a thousand miles from here. 
Your mind and heart can be on anything else. You could still be mad about uh, how the, the, the championship with basketball turned out. You could be happy about it. Your mind's somewhere else. You could be uh, mad or happy about how the motorcycle turned out. Your mind can be a thousand miles and your heart not be here in God's house. You see, what was lost was his heart. That's what was lost. The hardest thing for a parent is to lose the heart of their child. And I've only been in ministry eight years, but I've oftentimes had parents come to me and say, hey, I can't get through to my child. Can you talk to them? Can you talk to them? They won't listen to me. They won't answer the phone. They won't take my texts. They won't take my phone calls. There's a distance that's led to their dysfunction. And they no longer have influence. You see, this father realized something. He had lost the heart of his child. The heart of his child was in some far country. And there was nothing more than he could do but to simply let his son go. You see, why? Because, and it goes to something a pastor friend of mine told me many years ago. It's a bit of wisdom. He said, experience is the best teacher for those who will learn no other way. This son needed to learn a hard lesson that the father couldn't teach him. And so the father was willing to pay half of everything he had so his son could learn the lesson. As his son goes into a far country, parties it up, lives a wild lifestyle, and goes off. And the father had to let him go. But in the letting go, something happens. In verse number 17, it says, as he was there, but he came to himself. I find that interesting. Was it a pastor that came to him? No. Was it a Awana worker that came to him? Somebody that grew up doing Awana? Was it a Sunday school teacher? A life group leader? A best friend? A mentor? A close family relative? Who came to him? He came to himself. One translation says he came to his senses. And isn't that what we want? Some of you will say, man, I want somebody to knock some sense into that boy. I want somebody to knock some sense into that girl. And here you are trying to knock sense into somebody. And all you're doing is knocking them senseless. And it's not working because they're getting more and more stubborn. The other day I have, a, I have three sons. Three I got a third one missing around. It's like Herschel Walker. I got one just randomly around out in the ether. No, I have two sons and one daughter, three kids. And the other day, my wife was disciplining one of our children. I won't say who. And she put her hand on his shoulder and she just kind of gave him a firm little, hey, uh, shape up. And then he's sitting there and with my wife's hand on his shoulder, looks at me and says, are you going to tell her to stop? And I was like, whoo, boy, you about to get it now. He's like, tell her not to touch me. You know, and I was like, oh, keep talking. This is not going well, man. We might as well get your headstone ready because you're about to die, boy. I mean, it's over for you. You know, that's just how headstrong he is. You can't get through to him. And so this father couldn't get through to his son, but he knew this. And this is what you and I need to know. Is that sometimes, sometimes, and this is the hardest part. Sometimes. They have to come to themselves by themselves. Sometimes they have to come to themselves when they're by themselves. So you have to let them go. And here's what's interesting. It was when we are by ourselves that we get honest with ourselves. He finally got honest with what had happened, what he had done. You see, you and I can't prevent every decision our children are going to make, but we can plant seeds of wisdom that will produce the fruit of thought that will meet the need in the time that they need it. You can, and that's the hardest thing as parents. We want to prevent every bad decision, don't we? 
We want to micromanage everything. I mean, we put every knee pad on, helmet, and we're like, okay, ride your bike. And we want to prevent it. And they somehow manage to still get a bruise or a scratch on the one part of flesh that's not protected. You can't bubble wrap your child enough. And I know we want to. We love our children. We want to protect our children. But here's what we're doing. My friend, you cannot bubble wrap and protect their heart, their emotions. It's going to get hurt. And sometimes the hardest thing is to let your child go. And to let them go and to let life teach them. Because it was when he was by himself that he got honest with himself. And he had a moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, everything began to change. So even though none of us would ever like to go through a famine, we need to thank God for the famines. Because it was in this famine that he found himself. And if it hadn't been for the famine, he never would have come to himself. And right now, maybe you say, hey, the famine's come. The job's dried up. The opportunities have dried up. There doesn't seem to have any hope in the future. I'm in a famine season. Could it be that God is using the famine season for you to go by yourself, to get honest with yourself and your situation? Because for too long, you've been kidding to yourself, lying to yourself. This son surely thought, I can go do things better than my dad. I can make my own way. But in that moment, I love what happens. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs that ate and no one gave him anything, that leads to this moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, something began to happen. He comes to himself. And then he says this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, sometimes they have to be by themselves to come to themselves. But I love the fact that in this moment, he doesn't make any excuses, does he? He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't try to improve the pig pen. Some of you are trying to improve your pig pen when you just need to get out of it. You're trying to make a bad situation not stink. And it stinks. It's nasty. And you're trying to put Febreze all over it. Come on, you remember in junior high, ain't nobody in your junior high ever take a shower. But when Axe body spray came out, oh my goodness, heaven help us. All those kids, before they walk into school, they haven't had a shower in days. They just That's why the ozone's destroyed. It's, it's Axe body spray done did it. It's not the cows that are passing gas. It was Axe body spray. You get rid of Axe body spray, the ozone will come right back, okay? I'm telling you. And then you get hit with that cloud of Axe body spray, you done. It's going to Axe you. You done. You over. Game over. But they think that covers it all up. It does not work. It doesn't work. But we try to do that with our sin, don't we? We try to cover up the mess. Some of you, before you walk into church, ah, ah, yeah. don't want the pastor to smell what I've been doing. I don't want to, ah, I'm going to, ah, something, ah, you know. Gotta, gotta, I don't want them to know. Got to be careful. Got to wear nice clothes. You're trying to make your pig pen look better. The, the son didn't do it. He tried, didn't try to improve the pig pen. He also didn't try to blame his father. After all, he could have, couldn't he? And isn't that kind of the theme of the hour? Just blame somebody else. I mean, we're hearing it from the biggest house in the country all the way down to our house. Just blame it on somebody else. It's not really our fault. He doesn't blame his dad, even though the money came from his dad. 
He could have been like, if the dad, my dad didn't give me the money, I wouldn't be here. I'd be back home. I'd be bored. I'd be playing Nintendo. I'd be watching TV. I'd be catching up with Stranger Things. He, he could have said anything like that, but he doesn't. Instead, it was in this moment of clarity that he takes responsibility. And what's lacking severely today is a moment of clarity so that people would take responsibility because we live in a victim culture, don't we? Everybody's a victim. Why didn't you show up on work on time? Well, oh man, I had this happen and this happened and this happened. No, 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 no. How about you just say, I'm late, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. But we live in a victim mentality where everybody wants to be a victim because if I'm a victim, I do not have to take responsibility. Come on, husbands, we do this sometimes. We would say, oh, I'm not a good husband because my dad wasn't a good, good, good role model for me. That's no excuse for you not to get your act together. You see, this boy does not blame anyone. He just says, I've sinned before heaven and before my father. And he just takes, he just owns it. He owns every bit of it. He had a moment of clarity. He makes a confession. The confession was, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, I have sinned. Isn't that powerful? He didn't say, hey, I kind of like, you know, kind of messed up. I kind of, you know, just... I just had a, a moment of weakness. I was a little bit hangry, you know, and I was just, you just caught me in a bad moment. You know, I just wasn't feeling myself. And so that's how I acted. What does he say? I sinned. There is some relationship advice right there. If you have a strange relationship with a spouse, a coworker, or with a child, go to them if you're wrong and say, hey, I sinned. Try and look at what happens. I guarantee you their jaw will smack the floor and they're going to need stitches, okay? I guarantee because they're going to be like, did you just say what now? You apologized? Because too often we love to make excuses and this boy does not make excuses. He simply says, I've sinned. And it's the distance that led to the dysfunction in my life. And in that moment, he's no longer the prodigal. He's now the penitent. He's no longer a prodigal son who's lost. He is now who's on his journey back home. And we see that in verse number 19. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. He had the courage to move. So I see that he had a moment of clarity. He made a confession, but then he had the courage to move on it. You see, you and I in a moment of clarity, that's when we need to move. When you're in church service, the Holy Spirit moves you, go to action on it. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, that's really good. I'll do that tomorrow. No, no, no. Right now. As a matter of fact, Jesus even taught, if you come to the altar and you have something wrong with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. Leave church, make it right. Right now. Don't wait on it. Why would you wait on it? Get that right in your heart. And so we often, we don't move on what we hear. Some of you are going to be blessed and touched, and I need you to take action on it. I don't want you to wait on this thing. I want you to say, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to excuse anything anymore. I'm not going to play the victim card anymore. I'm going to own what it's mine to own, and I'm going to move on in victory because that's what God wants me to do. That's the next step that I need to have. So have the courage to move. This boy, he has the courage to move. And it's that closing the distance with his father that changed everything. And here's what's powerful. You see, it's the distance between the father that led to the dysfunction in his life but yet James tells us that draw near to me and I will draw near to you so God is trying to close the distance between me and you but he wants you to initiate the first step 
But here's what's powerful. We often think like, hey, I'll take a step and God takes a step. But that's never how God does it. You see, when you take a step, God takes two steps. You say, why does he take two steps? I'll show you. Because as he's coming to the father, it says he's walking home, but it says the father began to run to him. So as you're walking to the father, the father is running after you. You're taking one step, get back in church. God is like, I'm going to take two. You give me one, I'll give you two. So as you get closer to God, God gets closer to you. And you start closing that distance, God starts dealing with the dysfunction. The closer you get to God, the less dysfunction you're going to have because he's going to start dealing with that in your life. Amen? Amen. I know it's hot. And I know we didn't win a motorcycle except for Jonathan. But that's okay. We don't need to be mad. We don't need to be bitter. Jonathan's a nice guy. He'll give you a ride. I grew up for a time in Madera. How many of you know the wonderful little town in Madera, California? Yes, there we go. And if you don't know it, you are blessed. Hopefully you never have to discover. No, just kidding. Madera's not that bad. I lived in Madera, but not the nice side, not the 99 side. I lived on the 41 side, which is called the Madera Ranchos, which is in the middle of basically nowhere, California. All right. So uh, they, and my parents had this idea. They said, we're going to buy land. We're going to have a bunch of kids. We're going to build a house. We're going to have like a ranch, a farm. And I knew what they were actually thinking. We're going to have a lot of kids, which is basically slave labor and ranch hands. That's basically what they were thinking. And they were like, we're going to have these kids that run everything. And that was complete chaos. We were like inmates running the asylum. We were wild children. We wouldn't wear shoes. I mean, we were just running wild. My mom, one time, I went to her and said, Mom, can I build a fire? And she assumed I was going to build a fire in the fireplace. That was not at all what I was going to do. I had built a teepee in the middle of a field. And it was the middle of the summer. And I was going to put a fire in the teepee in the middle of the field. Uh, have you noticed our field around here? The drought crisis has been around for a long time. Yes, I lit a field on fire. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's just wild. We were just wild children. Uh, our, we would get bored. I had several siblings. So we would just throw rocks at each other. My parents bought us BB guns and they were like, here's the target. Shoot the targets. I was like, why? When I can shoot my brother instead. And it's so more fun. And he jumps way higher than that can does. So, you know, but back then as a daisy, you know, you know, rifleman kind of looking thing. It wasn't dangerous, you know, it's just a little daisy and everything. It wasn't until we got a pump action that you ran. If you saw him pumping and that's when you knew I better run. And then my brother shot his tooth out. That was hilarious. We were like, it'll grow back. And then we realized it was his adult teeth. Never did. But he looks kind of cool, you know, kind of like a, 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 a clampet looking thing, country, you know, we fit right in. But my parents, they had this long gravel driveway. My dad drove a gold Ford Fiesta. And you could see that gold Ford Fiesta coming from way over there. And that car is ugly to this day. I think it was uglier when it first came out. Whoever made that car was just, I don't know what they were on, but they were on something to make a car that ugly. And so here comes this gold Ford Fiesta, or it may have even been a Ford Laser. Some of you didn't know they made a Ford Laser, but they made a Ford Laser. They both look similar. They're both ugly. And they would be, you'd see it coming up the driveway. And it didn't matter where we were on the property. All of a sudden, all these kids had come out of the house because we wanted to run to meet our dad. And our dad would come driving up, and here come all these nasty-looking kids. I'm surprised he didn't put it in reverse and just drive out and drive away. I would have done that if I had seen all these kids like, nah, you know, I'm out of here. But my dad comes up the driveway, cops out of the car, and my dad's big. I'm small. I don't know what happened. You know, I'm just like, how did it skip me? You know, maybe it went to Kane. Kane's really big. Hopefully he gets all the, the big jeans and everything. And so my dad would scoop me up in his arms and he would scoop up another one. And then you just felt safe in the arms of your dad. This morning we need to run back to the father. We need to close that distance. But then I see, even though the son did something wrong, the father did something right. What was 
the other thing he did right. The father didn't rescue too soon. In our culture today, we want to rescue everybody instead of letting them go. Because life had something to teach this son, didn't it? And it's hard to watch your kid go through it. I watch my kids on the playground and I just want to, oh, you see those little kids and you got that reaction. There's always that mean little kid that picks on the other little kid. And you were like, I could punt you across the playground. Like you just want to like punt them, you know? They just, one time, Megan, we dressed her up a nice little cute like turkey outfit for Thanksgiving. And she goes on the playground. She's like, you know, got the little frills. She's just doing this because she knows she looked cute in a little outfit. And a boy walks up, little boy, knows that she knows that she looks cute. And he goes like this and smacks her. Oh, I was so mad. I was like, whose boy is that? I don't know whose it is, but you just walk up to a little girl with a little cute tutu for Thanksgiving and you just smack her. I was so mad, right? And you just want to rescue her. And it's like, oh, and then my wife kind of stopped me. And I was like, oh, get behind me, Satan, you know? And in that moment, she's like, just watch what happens. Just watch what happens. And you saw Megan just handle it. You say, what? Man, put him in a pretzel, broke him, arm bar. No, she didn't do that. She wanted to. She wanted to. But sometimes we have to watch our kids handle life and grow, and it's hard, and we want to be helicopter parents, and we want to bubble wrap them, we want to keep them safe, and we want nothing bad to happen to them. But one day, we're going to be gone, folks, and our kids are not going to be ready. And it's hard to let them struggle. It's hard to let them suffer. But he didn't rescue too soon, but he always had a watchful eye. Verse number 20, but he arose and came to his father. But while he stood a long way off, his father saw him. The father was always scanning the horizon. The father never stopped loving. He never stopped caring because he always scanned the horizon because he knew his son would want to come home. And I know that sometimes we come to Father's Day, we don't want it to turn into a seminar, but forgive me, this is going to turn into a seminar for a second. You see, this father lived in such a way that when his son left, he knew he could come back. Some of us live in such a way that we tell them, hey, if you go out those doors, you ain't never welcome back. And we're mad, we're upset, but we say things like that, and then they never come back. You can be firm, you can be tough, but live in such a way that they know that they can come back. That is a father's job to always make sure our children know that they can come back because that's the heart of our heavenly father. Your heavenly father, doesn't matter how far you have fallen, he always says you are welcome back. And he wants you to know that you can come back. So if you don't feel like you can come back to God this morning, you're hearing this message, distance from the Father develops dysfunction in your life. I'm telling you, God is wanting to tell you right now that you can come back, that he wants you to know that you can always come back, that he wants you to know that in your heart, in your soul. But it wasn't just that he lived in a way that the son knew that he could come back. He loved in such a way that when he left, he wanted to come back and that's the better part it's just not knowing that you can come back it's wanting to be back it's knowing that I can come back my father wants me there and that changes everything what if everybody who came to Southridge Church knew that we wanted them here what if we just couldn't wait to see them it didn't matter if you've been gone for a whole year but we were just like yes you're here man give me a high five give me a fist bump come on I'm glad you're here that would change everything if our church was like that if we just looked at people and said, man, I'm glad you're here. It doesn't matter. You haven't been in a while. I mean, it kind of matters, but it doesn't. We're still going to love you. We're excited. Because that's the heart of the Father in this passage, isn't it? 
We don't know how long had elapsed, how much time the son had been gone. But he had been gone long enough and he knew that the father wanted him to come back and he wanted to be back. You know, we tried to make our home, this is something that I give all the credit to Jane. She wants our home to be the place where every one of our kids' friends want to be. She's like, hey, we're going to have the video games. We're going to have the place because I want to know what our kids are doing and what they're saying. And we've got a little camera in the kids' playground and play area and we can hear what they're talking about. So I'm watching, make sure what's going on because when they're at somebody else's house, I don't know what they're huffing, puffing, talking about. I don't know what they're doing. But at my house, I know what they're huffing and puffing. Wait, no, they're not doing that. Uh, I know what's going on in my house. I don't know what's going on in somebody else's house. So we want our house stocked with the right food. So when their friends come over, they say, oh, I like hanging out at your house. Let's go to your house. Do your kids know that they're wanted there? Have you created an environment where they say, man, my friends love coming over. I like being here. You can make your home the place where everybody in the neighborhood knows that's the safe place to be. That's a good place. That's a happy place to be. It's not perfect, but that's the place where everybody would want to be. You see, a father knows best when he knows Jesus. And maybe this morning you say, I want to be a good dad. Then you need to know our heavenly father and he'll help you be a good dad. And thirdly and finally, the father, he, when it came to his son, his son did wrong. But the father did right because he rewarded repentance. Notice if you would, in verse 21, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Did you, did you catch it? The son had a speech. His speech was this, I've sinned before heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the rest of it is, I want to be just one of your hired servants. But the father cuts him off. The father stops him. He doesn't let him get to finish his speech that he had rehearsed. You say, why would this father cut him off at the part where he said, just make me one of your hired servants. As long as I get to eat the food and I get to live here, I don't mind being a hired servant. I don't mind working for the father. But you got to understand, this father here is not an earthly father. It's a representation of a heavenly father. And your heavenly father doesn't want anything from you, but he wants everything for you. And there's no work that you can do for him. He wants to bless you. He wants to love you. He wants to protect you because you're his son. There's no work that you can do for him because this is not a works-based religion. Every other religion out there, it's what you do for that deity. But our God says it's not what you do. It's what my son did on the cross of Calvary. So you just come and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen? That's what we have. That's what the Heavenly Father does. He is saying, this is free for you. The Father rewarded his repentance. And I love it. This is awesome. He gets his son. His son comes running home. And the Bible says that he kissed him. But if you study in the Greek, it means he constantly kissed him. It means he couldn't stop kissing his son. And that's kind of gross. That's kind of mushy. But it's kind of like two lovers who haven't seen each other in a long time meet in the airport. And they're all over each other. And you're trying not to stare. You're just like, I'm, I'm trying to get through TSA. And this is gross, but it, it, oh, I just keep going back to it. You know, it's like train wreck. Can't unsee it, right? And that's his father. But here's what gets me. This boy has been hanging out with pigs. He stinks. He has bad clothes. The father gets him a robe. And that boy is the one that the father keeps kissing and loving on. Think about how powerful that is. 
The father didn't care what he had been through, didn't care what he smelled like, didn't care what had happened. He just loved that his son was back. And the father doesn't care what you look like, doesn't care what you've been through, doesn't care what you've done this week. He's just glad that you have closed the distance. And when you close the distance, God just says, come here. I'm going to love you like you've never been loved. I'm going to show you that my love is still with you. I want to embrace you. I want to bring you home. That's what our God does. And that's what this God is doing here. God is saying, my love love you don't have to be worthy of it because that was part of his speech I'm not worthy to be called your son and that's what happens some of you say I don't even feel worthy to be at church if you knew pastor what I had done and I'm here to tell you yes it's wrong yes it's sinful but repent of it and as soon as you repent you're going to get rewarded for it and what if our culture did change that what if we started rewarding repentance but you know what we like to do Man, when somebody sins, somebody messes up, and they come back to church, we're like, mm-hmm. And walk into church like that? Mm-hmm. We know what you did. Mm-hmm. You're going to lift your hand to worship? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, now you look at you. Got the big old Bible out on the front row. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We just kind of judge them. This is a off. It's like, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to act all spiritual? I know what you did at the club. I saw you. Which is ironic because if you were there too, <laughs> it's like the whole of my kids, you didn't close your eyes as you were praying. I'm like, well, you kind of ratted yourself out a little bit, didn't you? But isn't the church like that? Aren't we known for kind of being messed up like that? But what if we just said, hey, you are back. Come here, give me a hug. Man, oh yeah, you smell like you just had a bunch of vodka. Oh man, you had a real good time, didn't you? I'm glad you in church. That's, this is great. That's great. You got a little vomit in your hair. That's okay. That's okay. You didn't have nobody pull your hair back when you're throwing up. It's okay. We got you. We love you. Love you. What if we were the church like that? Where somebody knew that when I repent, man, I'm rewarded for it. I can come right back instead of keeping out of distance. Because in this passage, we see that the father does something that's uncanny. He throws a party for his son. He puts a robe on him, gives him a ring. And the ring was a signet. It's like the family credit card. When he went to a store, he put that ring. And that meant his father was taking care of the bill. The robe meant he was part of a family. And then they killed the fatted calf. He said, go get that calf, that veal that we've been preparing. And man, we got to throw a party. Let's dance but in our culture when somebody comes back to God we know has been bad we want to punish them no you sit down we dance you watch us dance you don't dance sit in your corner and think about what you did that's what we do that's how we are instead of simply saying no no we got to celebrate come on get in here get in this party we got to we got to celebrate together you know this story is about a lost coin a lost sheep, and a lost boy. And this boy didn't feel worthy. But think about this for a second. He didn't feel worthy, and some of you don't feel worthy, but when a coin is lost, when it's lost for a matter of time, the value, does it go up or does it go down? It goes up. When a sheep is lost, it produces more wool that you weren't able to shear. Does it have more value or less value? More value because there's more wool. What God is trying to point a picture is that you are now more valuable than you're back. That's what he's trying to say. So this unworthiness you may feel, that's not from God. God didn't give him that. The father never told the son he's not worthy, did he? The son came to that conclusion on his own based on his actions. 
So when you come to church and you feel condemned and unworthy, that is not from the heavenly father. That is from the enemy, the devil. He's trying to accuse you because he is an accuser of the brethren. And he knows if he can get you to feel bad enough, you will stay far enough away from God so that God can't deal with your dysfunction. But in this moment, I'm here to tell you, God's love is unending. God's love is unconditional. God's love is unfathomable. God's love is unmistakable. The apostle Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? And his conclusion was, nothing can separate you from God's love. He then began to try to measure God's love. He said, how wide, how deep is the father's love? And his conclusion was that you can't measure his limit limitless love. That is our father. And our father is saying, run to me. Come back to me. I want you back home. And this morning, that's the call to you. Close that distance. You have distance from the father and you're going to have dysfunction in your life. But God wants to reward the repentance. And I love it. The father didn't make the son serve any sentence. There was no punishment for him. But as we close, there's two sons in the story. The second son. The second son's in the field where he should be. The second son is working where he wants to be. But the second son begins to hear a party. Begins to hear music. And he tells the servant, hey, what's the party for? Oh, you didn't hear? Your brother's home. Oh, my brother's home? Why are we throwing a party? Are we executing him and we're all celebrating because he just spent all dad's money? We're like, yay, he's going to die. What's going on? No, the servant says, hey, your brother, which was lost, is now found. He was dead, but now is alive. And we have to go celebrate him. And then he runs off to go get more wine for the feast. Because he wanted to celebrate him. And instead of the brother being happy about it, the brother is angry. And the brother would not go in to celebrate. And then the father comes out and says, son, what is wrong? And the father, the words are entreated him. That means begged him, said, hey, come on into the feast. And the son would not. He said, I don't want anything to do with that guy. As a matter of fact, do you know what he spent your money on? And he begins to detail how bad his brother was. So leads us to believe that this brother had been keeping tabs on his little brother, keeping up on all the dirt his little brother had been doing. And here's what's so sad. The older brother stayed in the house. The older brother stayed close to the father. But notice this. The older brother lived in the house, but he never had the heart that his father did for his kids. And some of us can live in the house of God and never have God's heart for his kids. And there are people in this world that have come through those doors that are hurting, lonely, and they've been through some mess. And you and I can kind of be like, we're going to worship, but you think about what you did. We're going to worship our God. You've been worshiping the devil and all kinds of things this week. No, you go think about that in the corner. But the church has to turn around and say, no, no, no. This party's for you. Come back to the Father. Let's run back to the Father. I know I've entitled this message, Run to the Father. But the only person that actually did any running in this passage is the Father. It doesn't say the Son ran says the father did. I think that's powerful because this father ran to his son. When he found out he was repentant, he ran. And this morning, as dads, if you have distance between a son, a grandson, a loved one, run to that. Run to the dysfunction. Run to the tension. Run to that part that you say, I can't confront it too often. Dads, we are so passive and there's something that needs to be dealt with. We don't want to deal with it. And we need to run to it and say, no, no, no. We're going to talk about this. 
and I'm going to confess my fault. And this father, he runs to his son, just like our heavenly father runs. You see, our heavenly father looked down over heaven and he looked at the sin that Adam and Eve had fallen. And the father was thinking, I've given them everything. What more could I give them? But now they've sinned. What are we going to do? And Jesus looks over and Jesus says to the father, father, send me. I'll go down and I'll fix it. You see, God has always been coming towards us. There's nothing that we can do. And the Father, he comes to us. In 1992, the Olympic Games had a 400-meter runner that was poised to win. His name was Derek Redmond. And everybody believed that Derek Redmond was going to take gold. He just barely missed gold in the 1988 Olympic Games. He was the fastest runner by far. And when the gun fired and went, Derek Redmond was gone in a flash. And he had outpaced the other runners. And he was far ahead. But then at the 150 meter mark, he falls to his knees in agony. And he hits the ground. And then seconds later, all the other runners pass him. Because in that moment, he had pulled his hamstring. And this is the second Olympic. He was favored to take gold for Great Britain. And so he began to summon all his will and pushed off the ground. And he stands up, favoring one leg over the other. And he begins to hop towards the finish line. And as he began to hop, he began to hop faster and he would use his whole body. He just kept hopping. And here you could see a man in agony and pain as he's hopping toward the finish line, trying to finish his race that he had set out to do. And as he's racing, the camera's following him. But then in the depth of field, the blurred out background behind Derek Redman, somebody gets out of the stands. It's not a runner. It's not his coach. It's not an official. Somebody gets out of the stands and begins to start running toward Derek Redmond. He doesn't look like a runner. It's a much older man. And here this man is running and he runs over to Derek Redmond and he grabs him and he throws one of his arms around him and begins to support Derek Redmond as they're running down the field. It was Derek Redmond's father. And he said, son, we're going to finish this together. And the father began to help his son. As his son buried his head in his chest, said, Father, I failed. He said, you haven't failed. We just haven't finished. You haven't failed because we haven't finished yet. And right now you feel like, Dad, I have fallen and I have failed. And God is there to tell you, you haven't failed. You just haven't finished. We got to finish. It's only a failure if we don't finish. You're only a failure, Dad, if you don't get back in the race that God has called you to. You're only a failure, Dad, if you don't start thinking, i got to own this. i got to do better. And you get back up, and then God says, give me your arm. And God helps you across that finish line. You see, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is the greatest power that is known to man. It's dunamis power. It is a power that's stronger than dynamite. And God is saying, you can do this. You are a mighty man of God. And right now, some of you fathers feel like you have failed and you feel like it's final and it's fatal and it's over and God is here to tell you this morning it's why you're here on this Father's Day that you have not failed you just haven't finished the race that God has laid out for you so this morning 
You say, God, I'm going to finish that race that you've given to me. And God comes alongside of me and says, that's it, my child. And God scoops you up and he says, let's do this. Let's finish this race together in Jesus' name. And you cross that line. And God is right there because you are not alone, my friend. And I know that culture is against you, Dad. And I know culture is maligning you. And I know culture wants to paint you as just this gullible loser, just kind of a down and out, the butt of all jokes as a dad, sadly. And in our culture, we say, no, dad, you are what we need right now. Every one of you fathers is what our church needs. It's what your wife needs. It's what your children need. Every psychologist would agree that the reason our country's in the plight that it's in is because we don't have enough dads like you. We need more men like you. I'd say, I'm not perfect. I don't got it all together. But I'll get back up. And I'll keep going. Because a just man falls seven times but gets back up. And God says, that's it. And God helps us men to get across that finish line. Because it's so hard as a man. And I'm not excusing the ladies here. I'm not. But our culture has so, so made it so hard because it's trying to destroy men. And the reason people are confused about their gender, their identity, is because men are confused about what is my role? What do I do? And if men once again realize that they are called by God to be men of God you would see our nation change if we just had a few men who just said I'm just going to be what God wants me to be and God says there we go because every person that doesn't understand their gender they're so confused they're just working out of their own brokenness they're hurting and they don't know how to fix it and they're lost and they're confused and they need somebody to say I'll help you. I'll steer you in the right path. Follow me as I follow Christ. And we're going to finish this together. The greatest thing I want in life is to cross the finish line of my life with my family. And that is the one prayer that I want for every single man in this house. Let's say, hey, Southridge Church, help me finish the race with my family. In Jesus' name. But we've got to run to the Father. And we've got to say, God, I need you. So this morning, run to the Father, fall into His arms, ask Him to help you, receive the grace and mercy that He offers. Can we stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to begin to play as we prepare for a time of invitation. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.